Marcus thought to Seth. Shout out to every radio station that play our theme from state to state. Coast to coast. Welcome back, everybody. This is the BK Forever Podcast, Episode 2, Season 1. First and foremost, I want to thank anybody that supported, anybody that listened. It really means a lot to me. Um, trying to grow this, trying to give out my views, my perspectives, um, and always try to stay humble and right. I'm here for the people, for the people, always. A um, couple of things I want to get out the way before I begin this discussion this week with new information forms, new opinions. So what do I mean by that? What I mean by that, sometimes you might hear me and it might sound like I'm contradicting myself. You'd be like, man, what is this dude talking about? But when it comes to sports, I have an open mind. I look at all angles and sometimes I'm spot on and sometimes I'm not. But I got no problem being wrong and taking accountability as long as I'm learning and involved with it. Let's get into it, people. So today's name of the episode is the Battle of NY. But we're not going to no war or nothing like that. You know, what we're talking about today are the respective teams of New York that I love. From the NFL, from the NBA, and from the MLB. And they're the Yankees, the Mets, the Jets, the Giants, the Knicks, and the Nets. Well, let me say about the Jets. I'm a tortured Jets fan, but... um. You know, it, it, I've been, it's been like this way for a long time. I've always rooted for the underdog, but boy, oh boy, have I been disappointed with New York teams in my life sometimes. And this is what I look at it with. With, with New York, there's a lot of expectations, a lot of limelight. You know, everything is, is glamorized, emphasized in New York. But with expectations, sometimes things crumble because you know, you just have these big standards. When you don't have, I notice with New York teams, when you don't have expectations, things just, they, they come out of nowhere, right? So with that being said today, you know, being a Knicks fan my whole life, when the Nets moved to Brooklyn, things started changing for me. <laughs> that was like in 2013. Now, I've always followed the Nets. I've always been a fan. They were in New Jersey. I got love. Like I told you, I got love for all my New York teams. But I'm a Yankees fan. I'm a Jets fan. And I'm a Knicks and Nets fan. And that's what I talk about with being contradicting at times. So it's crazy, right, how, you know, they moved to Brooklyn. And like I said, I've always been a Knicks fan. So, you know, growing up a Knicks fan, you go through some things. You go, we go through some tough times. You know, we... We live or die with them. But me being from Brooklyn, like, I'm from Brooklyn, Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? So there's no way that this is the first team since the Dodgers to come back home, and I'm not going to show support. You know when they came back to Brooklyn in 2013, I was buying hats. I was buying jerseys. I was going crazy. 
I was Brooklyn crazy. I'm still Brooklyn crazy. But, you know, this is the thing about sports teams in New York, right? You, and we all know this because we, we, we speak, we're emotional. We, we, we get into it. We want them to win. We pissed off when they don't. But it's just, this is how we, we ride or die. That's, what, that's where we from. We ride, where we from, we ride or die. So that means if you suck, we still gonna ride with you. We gonna die with you. You know what I'm saying? And if you good, <laughs> we there. We already on the bandwagon. So let's get into it, people. Let's talk about some baseball. Let's talk about some Yankees and Mets. So like I tell y'all, I'm a, I'm a big Yankees fan. But I'm from New York, and I represent all New York. And what I mean by that is as much as I love the Yankees, I, I love the Mets too. I got love for them. Ain't no hate in me. I, I, I make sure I follow the Mets just as much as I follow the Yankees. It's just the personal love that I have with the Yankees. And this is the thing. Out of all the teams, out of all these respective New York teams that I'm talking about, the Yankees are always the ones that's like the standard. And they're always the standard because of the 27-time world champions. You know, they're a prestigious franchise. Um, they always have the star power. They've always had the big-time players. Have they lived up to the expectations? Probably not. The last time they won was in 2009. So it's been, what, 11 years we've been waiting? And man, have we been waiting. But the Mets been waiting since 1986. So they've been waiting for a while too. But like I said, you know, when you look at New York, you know, a lot of people look at the glitz, the glamour. The Yankees are probably the only team that keeps that standard going in regards of winning. But then you look at how they've, they've kind of remade their team in the last couple of years, right? Um, when they were winning championships, they were winning with homegrown players. Bernie Williams, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera. These were all players that came from the minor leagues that groomed up and became stars. Then I think they fed into that championship glory and they started buying stars. And they lost that, that, that zest that they had. You know, when they started buying stars, not that they stopped winning, they just started losing earlier. Right? Whereas the Mets, listen, Mets fans, I got love for y'all. All right? I'm, I'm, I'm here for y'all. But I'm going to tell y'all, y'all have been down more than we have. Right? But then I look at where we at now. Right? The Mets, after the Wilpons leaving, that was maybe one of the, and when I'm talking about the Wilpons, I'm talking about the ownership from the Mets that just left or that just got bought out by Steve Cohen, who's the new owner of the Yank of the Mets now. Now, this guy's a hedge fund manager. He's a billionaire. So we're looking at the Mets in a whole new landscape now. Because now they can buy anybody and everybody. But guess what? Their front office is a very smart front office now. Because they got a guy called Sandy Alderson who was kind of an architect for the Oakland A's. 
And what I mean by that is the Oakland A's back in the days, they were a team that was didn't have a lot of money, but they played the way they drafted. They draft players that became stars, but they can't afford them. So what ends up happening is they have so many good players, but they can't afford to keep them. But when you have that type of system where you get this type of ownership that's willing to spend, but now you have a front office that is smart and knows who to get, who not to get. So what I mean by that, right? We're looking at the Yankees now. The Yankees got some great players. You know, we're looking at Aaron Judge. We're looking at Giancarlo Stanton. We're looking at, you know, LeMahieu. You know, we have, but we don't have no pitching. You know, we have all this hitting and it's great and all because what they say, chicks love the, the long ball, they love the home run, and that's great. But then when you got guys like Stanton and you got guys like Judge who are gigantic ball players, but this is what it is. They're, they're pretty injury prone. So, you know, sometimes we go into the season with these expectations thinking, man, they're going to win, they're going to do this because this is the thing about sports. No matter what fan you are, if this is your team, you always feel in the beginning of the year this could be the year, especially if you got a solid team. And especially when you're from New York, you know? But then I look at, I'm looking at the landscape now, and I got to be realistic. As much as I love my Yankees, the Mets, that's the team this year that looks like they're on that path. Because if you look at the Mets, the way they're structured, they got pitching, they got hitting. Their bullpen is kind of suspect. That's where the Yankees have more of a dominant feature now. But this is the thing, right? I'm looking at one of the acquisitions that were made this year that the Mets made was Francisco Lindor, who's a shortstop. So for anybody that doesn't know about him, remember that name for the Mets, Francisco Lindor. This guy is a superstar. He has the charisma for New York. He, has, he's, he just has that it factor. Right. And I ain't gonna lie to you. When the when the Mets got him, I was pissed. I was like, and, and listen, now I'm not hating Mets fans. I'm just letting you know I was pissed because I wanted him on the Yankees. And don't get me wrong, I love Gleyber Torres. Gleyber Torres is phenomenal. He's a great, he's a great player, right? In his own right. But when you got a player like Lindor, who has that charisma, who has he, you know, he just he you could just when I see certain players, I just know, like, this guy is it. And I, and Lindor came from the Cleveland Indians this this summer. Um, they made a big trade, and it was a big trade in New York. You know, a lot of people that follow the Mets, you know, they got Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, who's a pitcher. Carlos Carrasco is injured right now. You know, he should be coming back hopefully within the next month or so. But Lindor was the big package in that deal, Right. And when you look at Lindor, it's like this guy hits, he steals bases. He he has like he knows how to carry a team and he has he's a leader. You could tell, but he's like one of those type of leaders that he lets his play do his talking. Those are the best type of New York type of players, right? Like growing up, Derek Jeter was one of the best players in New York history. Why? Because he wasn't a guy that spoke many words, but the way he played, the grit, the, the, the hunger, 
he emphasized New York like it was he he bled New York. He was meant to be a Yankee. He was meant to be a, a New York player. You look at Bernie Williams, another guy who he's very underrated. This guy was uh you know, he was a great player, you know? Now, I'm talking, I might be giving up my age a little bit with the way I'm talking cuz this is in the 90s. You know what I'm saying? And you know, they call me old head or like my son say, I'm a boomer and all that stuff. But you know what? It's one of those things where when you're a fan, you're just a fan and you follow your teams forever. You know, so as I talk about this, like I talk about the Yankees, they've improved, right? But to me, they're just, they haven't done enough to keep that championship standard. Whereas the Mets, you look at their pitching, they got the Rome, they got Syndergaard, they got, they got, like I said, it's a so-so bullpen, but they got the money to spend. So when you got, even though the Yankees got the money to spend, it's just one of these things where, I don't know, it's just something in me that tells me the Mets are on for something different. You know, it's, it's when you have an owner like this, this owner is interacting with the fans. This owner, you know, he wants, like, I'm going to give you an example. Lindor was traded to the Mets. At the end of this season, he was going to be a free agent. Now, what owner do you know goes on social media and starts talking to the fans, asking them how much they should get paid, how much he should pay this guy? Like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this guy's a little different. You know, he emphasizes, he's a New Yorker, so it looks like he, he knows what New York needs, what New York wants. And then when... See, they had a general manager called Brody Van, w Van Winger, if I'm saying it right, right? And he was, to me, he was, a, he was a player agent. So he made one of the biggest mistakes ever when he traded their best prospect, Jared Kelnick, Gerard Kelnick, if I'm saying that right. I apologize. But when you traded a star like this for Robinson Cano, who... Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the same Robinson Cano that played for the Yankees years ago. This is also a guy who's been accused of steroids. And, you know, he was washed up. He's already washed up. And you traded this star power. This Kelnick is like, he, with the respect of Juan DeFranco, who's a shortstop for the Tampa Bay Rays, he is maybe the number one prospect in Major League Baseball. You traded this guy. Now... We gotta now we get these retreats back. The only good thing that we might might have got back was Edwin Diaz, who's a reliever for the Mets. He's the closer, so-called closer. But to give away that value, and now, you know, the Mets were stuck. They became laughing stocks. You know what I'm saying? But then you gotta you gotta look what happened when the ownership changed. Everything changed because now he fires Brody. He gets him out of here. He says, yo, you a player man, you a player agent. You okay, but you, he's a baseball fan. The owner is a baseball fan. So he knows what the franchise needs. He gets rid of him and he brings back Saudi Anderson, like I told you. Saudi Anderson is a GM. He was a GM for the A's. So he knows how to acquire the players, groom the players without spending the money. Now, this is the crazy part. He was the GM already for the Mets before. And when he was the GM for the Mets before, I was like, this guy don't spend nothing.
but it wasn't because of him. It was because of the of the ownership that they had before. They was in a Ponzi scheme, so they were going through a whole bunch of things. And I get it. You know, when you're going through something like that, money's a little tight. But like I said, we from New York. You know, you you got to glitz in the glamour. We want to win, right? So what did they do? This season, Lindor was a free agent, like I was saying. And this guy starts asking the fans on social media. Now, they're throwing $400 million out here, right? So what happens? The, the Mets made an offer of a 10-year, $325 million. He declined. He's like, I'm, I'm, I want three eighty-five. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When he threw three eighty-five, I said, whoa, that's a big number. But let me tell you something about baseball. There's no salary cap. So they don't cap your money. You could spend as much as you want. That's why they had to do some that's why they had to do something called revenue sharing, which is the lower budget teams, like the big budget teams have to share money with the lower budget teams, if I'm getting that correct. Right? And it's like a good thing and a bad thing because as much as I love my Yankees, now it's like they want to even the playing field. That's why NFL is king. Because one year, you could be the worst team in, in the league, and then the next year, you're the best team because you know why? Everything is even. There's nothing that, like, there's a salary cap. So there's no unlimited spending. And that's what was happening to baseball. Baseball, you had a lot of unlimited spending, and the great teams were the great teams, and the, the, the lower-budget teams were the lower-budget teams until, you know, baseball started doing revenue sharing and things started changing. And now you're looking at, now there's more optimism for, for, for baseball this season. You see more, more people, this, you know, they lost a lot of fans, but they've gained a lot of fans. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. Basketball is my favorite number one sport. And football is my 1A. Baseball is my third sport. You know what I'm saying? But baseball, I've never, growing up, I never was into baseball like that. You know, never was into it. I've watched it from afar. I've always admired it. But I started watching it a little bit more. You know, like, now, like I said, I'm giving my age again a little bit. 92. <laughs> right? But I started falling in love with sports when I was 12 years old. That's when I really fell in love with sports, you know? I've always been able to talk about it, dissect it. And, um, you know, right now, with the way I'm looking at things, as much as I love my Yankees, the Mets, they're, they're about to be prime. But like I said, anyway, to go back to Lindor. So what happens? They keep negotiating. He declines the 10-year, $325 million offer. They come back. So now they're, they're, they're at a standstill for a couple of days. Now, I know as a Mets fan, they scared because it's like we get this guy, we trade for this guy, and we need to sign him. But like I said, this owner got that money. So what he do? They find a medium where they offer him a 10-year, $341 million contract. Poof. Here he is now. He signed. Now they're set. And this is the thing about the Mets. <laughs> Mets and the Yankees. Because the Yankees got the best pitcher. You know, they got Garrett Cole who was, he was paid like 330-something million, you know. That's a big contract, but I think the Mets got the better pitcher in Jacob DeGrom, you know, and 
the way you see, you know, the Mets have a, I don't know, it's just they have Pete Alonso, they have, you know, Lindor now, they got the Grom, you know, they got Conforto, Michael Conforto. Hey, people, I know some, not everybody knows these names, but that's what I'm here to give these names out so maybe you can search them and maybe you can look at them. You know what I mean? With the Yankees, we always have the star power. We just don't have the pitching. Uh, are we on our way? Uh, I don't know because as, you know, Brian Cashman is the GM for the, for the Yankees, and I've always loved Brian Cashman. You know, he's, he's been a Yankee since the 80s, right? But then you look at him, and it's like he's remade himself in a way. Like, he was, he was, the, he was the GM that was buying all those stars. He was the GM that was... And then in uh, 2014, 2015, if I recall, he revamped everything. He started trading away all his high-expensive players, and he started developing a farm system, and that's how he got Gleyber Torres. That's how he got Gleyber Torres. And Gleyber Torres was a big prospect coming out. But like I tell you, when you go with him and Lindor, these are shortstops, by the way, okay? Uh, Lindor is the man. Like, I've been following Lindor for a while. And as much as I love Torres, because he's a Yankee, you know? But when you got to, like I say, it's a certain charisma, it's a certain type of character that you need to have in New York. And when I when I saw that Lindor was traded to the Mets, I said, "My goodness, this is this is it now. Like, this is what the Mets fans have been waiting for all year." Now, listen, I'm talking a lot about the Mets, right? You like you probably like this guy's a Yankee fan talking about the Mets like crazy. But you know what? I've been so impressed by what I've been seeing, and like I said. I'm a Yankee fan all the way through. And I'm telling you, I will never stop loving the Yankees, but I have love for my New York teams, you know? And when I see the Yankees, I just got to be realistic. Do we have a chance to win? Yes. But this is how life is, right? With expectations come downfalls. And when you have a team like the Yankees that every single year have these high expectations, those downfalls are huge. Whereas the Mets, they come in with no expectations. They come in just, they're kind of a respectable team, but they're like under the radar, right? And you look at them and it's like, eh, they're all right. But I'm going to tell you now, they're going to surprise some people. And, I'm, and the reason, barring injury, because you see, this is the thing in sports. It's always barring injury. You can always be optimistic when the season starts. But if one of your big guys get hurt, if somebody goes down, <laughs> I don't care who I don't care who you are, you might be done, and you might be done the first day of the season. That's why in football, your season is predicated by somebody wise that I knew, that I know in four games. In four games, it's like a big standard of where you stand, right? It's like a barometer of where you stand in football. In football, if one of your big guys go down that first week. You're done. Baseball's a little different because there's more depth. There's, there's a minor league. They have, you know, listen, a major league roster consists of 26 players. But you have hundreds of players that are in the minor leagues, which is um, the lower levels of baseball, which is a single A, double A, triple A. 
you get these kids from high school and you develop them. Some of them are praised to come out and some of them do come out. Some of them never make it, you know, and that's that's sports. But baseball to me is is the hardest sport. And I'm going to tell you why. No, let me tell you, it's the hardest sport. Football is the hardest physical sport. But baseball is a is a game of endurance. And I'm going to tell you why. They play 162 games. That means that you're playing every single day. You get hit by baseball, <laughs> you might be going back out there the next day and playing again. With a welt, black and blue, you're sore. You're playing in the heat. You're playing in all types of weather. Now, I'm not going to say all types of weather, but because if it rains, you get rained out. You know, things like that. But you're playing in that soaking heat, you know, um, all types of weather. And, you know, you look at you look at baseball, it's an endurance sport. So I've come to respect baseball more than I ever have in the last couple of years. Because you look at these guys and especially the stars that continue to come out each and every year and deliver. You know, and that's why I see Lindor. As more, like I tell you, I, I've been talking about him a lot, but it's because I liked him way before he came to the Mets. So when he came to the Mets, and, and listen, I ain't no hater, but I, I was looking from afar like, oh, man, like this guy could have done great for the Yankees. But this is the thing. The Yankees just have too much star power, too much star power. But, you know, um, as I as I as I finish up on this subject, you know, I look at I look at how these teams are looked at, right? And I'm always a person that no matter what time I'm never when I was young, I was one of those like you know how if your team sucks, you still want to root for them. I'm realistic. If they suck, they suck. If they're good, they're good. I'm not a fan I, I'm not a fandom of any team. Now, I have my teams like I told you, but I'm more into players. I'm more into seeing how they develop, how they how they do. You know, I know I've rambled on a little bit about it, but, um, you know, I just wanted to let you guys know this is what I think about these baseball teams, the Mets and the Yankees. Hey, everybody, before I start this football segment, just want to apologize for, um, say, I kept saying Lawrence Fields, but it's actually Justin Fields. Um, got me, I got it to a roll, I got it to a rhythm, and... I kept calling him Lawrence Fields, but it, it is Justin Fields. My apologies. All right, people. Let's get into some football right now. Let's get into some Jets and Giants. Now, like I told y'all before, I'm a tortured Jets fan. So what that means, right? Like, <laughs> we've, we've, we're just a losing franchise. We're horrible. Listen, sometimes I'm ashamed to be a Jets fan. But you know what? I always tell you. I root for the underdog, so and and I'm ride or die. So that means if you suck, now I'm gonna admit you suck, but I'm gonna still be a Jets fan. You know, I, I I do love my players. Like I told you, I've become more open with players now than than you know, regards of following players than I have with the teams. I'm a Giants fan from afar. The Giants fan, you know, being being a Giants fan, I can see why y'all love the Giants. You know, but this is the thing about the Giants. They sometimes I've seen good Giants teams have no expectations and win. You know, where the Jets, we just losers. <laughs> Straight up. We just losers. But 
two things I want to get into with this segment regarding the Jets and the Giants. With the Jets, you know, we're about to get into the NFL draft, and they just traded their quarterback, Sam Darnold, to the Panthers. Now, we drafted Sam Darnold maybe three years ago as the number third pick in the draft. At that draft, he was deemed as the number one pick. He made it to the Jets at number three. Um, has he had good luck being a Jet fan? Not really. Um, he's a very solid player. He showed potential, but the coaching staff that he had, horrendous. Adam Adam Gase, who was the previous coach before uh, Robert Saleh, who, who's the new coach now for the Jets, came in. This guy, like, he destroyed Donald this year, this past year. Um, like, look, there was a game that Donald said he was seeing ghosts. I ain't never heard no player say nothing like that. That's how bad this dude was playing. I mean, listen, as a Jeff fan, it's, it, was, it was really bad. You know, this last year, we finished with two wins. Yeah, you heard me. Two wins now. <laughs> Football's only a 16-game season. It's about to be 17, but it's it's 16-game season, and we only finished with two wins out of 16 games, all right? Well, the Giants, they were a little bit more successful. Well, six, six wins, right? Um, but then you look at the, like I said, I'm looking at the landscape. I'm going to talk a little bit about where the Jets are going and where the Jets are going, right? So when I'm looking at the Jets, Right now, we need a quarterback. Plain and simple. In football, your team goes as your quarterback goes. We got great players in the NFL. And they're, lead, they're great teams because of who they are at quarterback. You got Aaron Rodgers. You got Tom Brady. You know, you have, you have so many. These are guys that you put them on the football field. They changed their team instantly, right? You had a Drew Brees who just retired. You know, I'm just giving you examples of these type of players that catapult their team just by their status of the way they play, right? But this is the debate that I'm having here as a Jets fan. Many people may follow college football or not. Um, I'm not the biggest college football fan, but... You know, I've been hearing a lot of talk. There's this kid from BYU called Zach Wilson. For months, for weeks, I've been hearing the Jets are going to draft him. And, you know, like I say, I'm a tortured Jets fan. So I'm not saying he's the right or wrong pick, but this is what I'm going to say. I want Lawrence Fields. You know why? Because Lawrence Fields fits what a modern NFL quarterback is today a mobile quarterback that can run and throw. That's what a successful quarterback is in the NFL today. You know, you, you, you look at a, a quarterback like a, you know, a Deshaun Watson, a Russell Wilson, a Patrick Mahomes. These are guys that not only they can throw the ball, but they can run the ball. Lamar Jackson, excuse me. Let me, let me, let me clear that out because he's, to me, he's, he's a great quarterback as well. All he needs is a better offensive coordinator. Once he gets a better offensive coordinator, the sky's and he's already an MVP. He's already won an MVP. But the sky's the limit for this guy because his rushing ability is insane. So that's what I'm trying to say. 
when you're looking at a quarterback, and I'm not telling you that um, Zach Wilson can't run. What I'm trying to tell you at that is Lawrence Fields is the truth. And this is what I mean by that. This guy ran a 4.44 in a 40-yard dash, right? This guy has run faster than a lot of players that have come out the draft. A lot, you know? This guy has, has he, he's considered, this is the problem. A lot of quarterbacks that come from Ohio State, they look at the helmet and the jersey and they say, this guy can't play here. But when I see this guy play, I'm like, this guy's the modern NFL quarterback. And I would be, I don't know what I would do if the Jets don't draft him. You know what I mean? Like you're looking at the quarterbacks that came out of Ohio State in the last couple of years. Dwayne Haskins, Cardell Jones, Troy Smith, Terrell Pryor. These guys haven't been that great in the NFL. They've been Ohio State players that have been quarterbacks. They're... See, that's the thing about Ohio State. They're not known to group to have quarterbacks. They're known more for they're definitely wide receiver. That's a wide receiver place. They they they, they definitely got their wide receiver. They had, you know, you know, Ezekiel Elliott comes out from Ohio State as well. You know, but that's the thing. When you're looking at the helmet and the jersey, you need to look at the player because this guy right here, his arm like he has an arm, you know. He's a transcend. I'm not going to say he's a transcendent quarterback. I, I'm not going to go that far, you know. But if you look at the way this guy has played, you know, only two quarterbacks have ranked faster at running the 40. Michael Vick at 4.33 and Robert Griffin, Robert Griffin III at 4.41. This guy had, in his career has thrown 63 touchdowns, nine interceptions. So what does that tell me? That tells me that he's not a guy that's throwing the ball carelessly. You know, he did transfer from Georgia. and You know, he went to Georgia his first year. He transferred to Ohio State. And his last two years have been phenomenal. He's, 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 he's played great. But like I said, when you look at the, the player, like his first year in Ohio State, he had 41 touchdowns, three interceptions. Now, he regressed the last year. 22 touchdowns, six interceptions. But guess what? Those interceptions are under 10. Now, granted, it's college. It's a different level. But to me, that ball security matters, especially when you get to the league. You know? And when you look at Zach Wilson, he's, he's from BYU. I'm not sleeping on BYU as a school, but Ohio State's a big-time program. And they play games that are on national TV. So he's used to the stage. And like I said, he fits the modern NFL quarterback. He runs the ball. He, you know, he's elusive. When you look at those type of quarterbacks, that's what I see for success. Like I said, a Lamar Jackson. Two examples, Lamar Jackson and Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. These guys are the future. They're the now. Now, like I said, I could be totally wrong about Lawrence Fields. Zach Wilson might come out and... and he might come out like a Justin Herbert and, and destroy the game because nobody saw Justin Herbert come out the way he was going to come out, right? Nobody saw that. But this is what it is. When, you, when you're watching things and you see how things develop, like I say, I'm from New York, so I know we, we've drafted these quarterbacks from these no-name schools and they ain't done nothing. 
Like, we can we have to stop. You know, this is the you know something that pissed me off too was you know they start talking about his work ethic, and they start putting things out there. Whether it's true or it's not, listen, let's not digress his character. The guy's a the guy's a good player. You know, he's good enough that he was in comparison with Trevor Lawrence, who's gonna be the dispute, you know, the undisputed number one pick in the draft by the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's how good and, and they've been going one and two their whole careers. And a lot of people even put Lawrence Field as the number one over Lawrence. Listen, they went against each other in the championship game, and I can tell you, he dominated. He, they played against each other in the, in the Sugar Bowl, right? And you see that game? I'm going to tell you his stats. He went 22 for 28, 385 yards, six touchdowns, which is a Sugar Bowl record. Lawrence Fields, yeah, the same guy that plays for Ohio State, the same guy that the Jets are going to pass by. You know who will piss me off? If he if he goes to, to the 49ers. Because guess what? The 49ers know how to develop their players. And he would be a beast. Now, it could be an underrated factor here. Because there's a LaFleur brother who is an offensive coordinator. Matt LaFleur, if I'm correct. He's the offensive coordinator for the Jets. So I'm my fingers are crossed. That we're going to make the right decision because, you see, the coaches that are the coaches for the Jets now, they were the former, it's the, the, the head coach for the Jets, Robert Saleh, was the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. And LaFleur is the brother of the uh, Packers coach. But he's like, they're like the so-called, you know, LaFleur is like, a, like offensive geniuses. These guys know how to groom an offense, right? But like I said, it's not that I don't believe in Zach Wilson's talent. I just that I believe in Lawrence Fields that much more. Because, yeah, I've seen Wilson's. I see that arm. I, I, I see what it looks like. But then I look at Lawrence Fields and it's like, I see where the NFL is at. Like, look, when, when Lamar Jackson was coming out the NFL, a lot of people want to put this guy at a, at a other position. Why? Why? He can play just as good as anybody else. And let me tell you something. I was so happy when he won the MVP. You know why? Because he showed everybody that this type of quarterback, this Russian quarterback, will dominate the league and rule the league. And as you can see, yeah, he's regressed a little bit. But I'm not, I don't think he's regressed because of his skill talent. He's regressed because of that offensive coordinator, Nolan. And I, that's a whole other that's a whole other story, right? But like I said, I look at things from an open mind, an open perspective, because I'm a tortured Jets fan. <laughs> I see what we could have had and what we don't have, and we don't got a quarterback. And like I said, I don't think Wilson is bad. I just don't think Wilson is the fit for us. So let's talk about the Giants a little bit. Giants, you know, that's pretty. That's a pretty much prestigious franchise. You know, they're up and down year to year. They got some great star talent. Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram. The only thing that might be holding them back is their quarterback, Daniel Jones. The kid is all right. 
He's all right. I mean, I'm not going to knock his talent, right? But then when you see how he's come out, he's his first season, he had 12 touchdowns. I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me. He had 24 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. This year, he regressed to 11 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Now, granted, he was learning a new system. They had a new coach and Joe Judge. They were, they were, you know, sometimes it takes a player a year or two to integrate himself into a new system. But this is New York, ladies and gentlemen, with New York comes expectations. And you see, what they did now was this year's a make or break for their general manager, Dave Gettleman. Dave Gettleman is a, he's a, he loves to run the ball. He loves to focus on the offensive line. Listen, when Daniel Jones got picked, everybody and their mother was shocked that this guy went number six in the draft. Because everybody was like, oh, we're going with Haskins, we're going with Haskins. They picked Jones, and he played for Duke, which is, you know, they're not known as the, you know, big-time football college team. But listen, Daniel Jones has progressed. He's, he's done well. But this is the make-or-break year for him because guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't protect the ball. And when you don't protect the ball in the NFL, no matter how good you are, you can lose your job that quick. And not that we want that to happen to him. Listen, we all want to have a job. We want to support our athletes. We never want to bring them down or put them down. But when you got 13 fumbles in 2019, and then you got 14 fumbles in 2020. That's a total of 27 fumbles in two years. In football, that's a lot of fumbles, especially for a quarterback. Now, he's a rushing quarterback, too. He, he's, he's elusive. He's shown, he has an arm, too. I'm not doubting Daniel Jones. But when you have that type of talent around you, there's this expectation. Here we go again. And what expectation comes down for. Now, am I hoping for the downfall? Absolutely not. Like I said, I'm a tortured Jets fan, but I support my New York teams. I want the Giants to do well. Why not? Why not? It's, 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 I root for everything New York. But once again, I'm also a realistic fan, and I see if you don't hold on to that ball, we're going to have some big problems here in New York. Because this is the thing about New York. <laughs> they like Philly. They call for your head quick. You don't play up to the standard that they hold you to. Because, listen, us as fans, we're very knowledgeable. We know what's going on. We look into things. We read into things. We dissecting things. So we go into these games and we're calling out things that you think we might not know about. That you think that you, you sleeping on us. But we're watching and we're waiting. Not for downfall. We're waiting for progress, not degress. But it's just one of those things that when they added, when they added Kenny Galladay, that was like, he's a wide receiver. He came from the Detroit Lions. That was considered, in a way, you could say, the final piece for that offense. Because now you got Saquon Barkley coming back from injury. Evan Ingram, I don't think he's lived up to his potential. So this might be a make or break year for him as well. But everything is lining up. That defense played solid last year. They were just developing. You know, they got a new coach. They were developing into their system. 
They wanted to see how things were going to turn out. Six wins is not bad for, for a rookie coach. I mean, listen, did you expect more than that? I think you're pretty happy with that. It's better than two wins. Better than the two wins the Jets got. You know? But, like I'm saying, people, you know, the Jets and the Giants, you know, we these expectations that we have as football fans, because listen, one thing about football, football is king. I don't care what you say. Like, I love basketball, but football, everybody watches football. Everybody's invested. You know, Super Bowl is one of the biggest events ever. They even got a, you know, a prestigious halftime show with artists and everything. They go all out. And it's well-deserved because let me tell you something. We're in what? April? I'm dying for football to come back. I'm dying for the draft. You know? But I'm waiting patiently. I'm seeing how things go and seeing how things develop. But, you know, um, with all that being said, I just hope I was able to give you some perspective on what these teams bring to themselves and to New York. You know, um, the Jets, we don't know what's going to happen because we don't know who they're going to pick. And I'm not an expert on anything. I just feel that Fields is the guy to be drafted first over Wilson. I'm sorry. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. And I stand on that. I could go with that. But when you've been a jet, when you've been a fan for so long, and you want your team to win so bad, and you see the, I see the trend, the the way the league has transcended in the last couple of years. You see how the standstill quarterback no longer like Tom Brady. That's a. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. That's a dying breed. That standstill quarterback. That's about to go, that's, that's going to be yesteryear. What you're going to see now is the quarterback that can throw like 70 yards and run with that 4.44. As did for the Giants, will Daniel Jones be the guy that's going to move this team into the next level in regards of even making a playoff, a playoff game? Because when you got that type of talent, when you spend that type of money, there we go again, that word, ladies and gentlemen, expectation. So I hope I was able to bring it to you guys the way I see it in regards of these teams, the Jets and the Giants. But that's how I see it, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, people, let's get into my favorite sport, basketball. Um, I've been a lover of basketball all my life. Like I tell you, I'm from the hood, so all we did was play football and basketball. Well, me, I played predominantly basketball. You know, I was always tall, so they always put us in the middle. You know, it's not like today. Today is like positionless basketball. They, they, You can be as tall as you are, and they'll play you anywhere. But when I was young, they just, you tall, you going down there. And um, as I grew up, my favorite player was Hakeem Olajuwon. Um, 
because of his skill set. He was just phenomenal in the post, you know. And like I said, I was a tall kid, so they always put me down there. So in order for me to develop, I started developing that type of skill set, you know, in and out and just the way he played. It was a smooth type of player. Look that player up, Akeem Olajuwon. You know, I loved Michael Jordan. I, I loved I loved all those guys, you know what I'm saying? But I'm a, I'm a Nick fan. I was a Nick fan true and true. We ride or die with them. We've had some great years. We've had some tough years. You know, we actually lost to Hakeem Olajuwon and the Houston Rockets in 1994. You know, that one hurt. We, we went to game seven with that one. And um, I'll never forget. I stood up to like midnight, one o'clock in the morning watching this to the end. And, you know, we've never, we've gone back to the finals in 99 in the, in the shortened season that, that was. But we've never reached our potential. And this is the problem that I have with the Knicks, right? Um, right now we have a reputable coach, which is great. You know, Tom Thibodeau, they call him Tibbs. The thing about the NBA is, you know, you have, there's levels to this, right? They say there's levels to this. And this is what I mean by that. With, in sports and, you know, in basketball, football, baseball, but in sports, there's coaches that can show your potential but then they have to bring in a championship co coach to prove your potential. You know what I'm saying? Tibbs is a great coach. You know, he's a, he's a solid coach. The question is, will he lead the Knicks to the championship? I don't think so. But what I will tell you is the way they start to the way they end will be a totally different um, team. I'm, I'm going to give you an example for this year. They had 25 wins, right? Last year... They only won 21 games. Now, granted, last year was a, last year was kind of a more of a shortened season, but it just shows you the progress that they've made in such in, in in this in this team. He's developing the young players. He stresses defense. That's big in New York. That's what we grew up on. We grew up on defense. Black sneakers, black socks. That's what we knew. If anybody that's a New York fan, that's a New York Knicks fan, you know what I'm talking about. You know. That's the nitty gritty. The the we just it was the days of Ewing, Oakley, Starks, Mason. You know, um, those were the the glory days of the Knicks. We 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 loved our Knicks. You know, but this is the problem that I have with the Knicks. Their owner James Dolan, right? This guy, he's annihilated a lot of these players. You know, he's got into issues. You know, yeah, players are signing with us and things like that. You know, we got Julius Randle this year. He came aboard, and that was a great signing. He, he, he's made his first All-Star game. He's developed amazingly under tips. But this is the problem. Are we going to stay here now? Because now, are we going to attract the free agent now? Do we need another star? Because you see, Julius Randle, he came from the Lakers. And he was, he was solid. You could see his potential. He was one of the top, he was a top 10 draft pick. You knew the kid was going to play and play well. But, you know, they, a lot of people see this coming from him, this first year as a Nick. I don't think so. But what he's done, he's been phenomenal. But the question is, and, you know, R.J. Barrett, very solid player. He's, he's also a, a top, he's a top three pick that the Knicks have. And, um, you know, he's from Canada. He's been, he's been solid for the Knicks. 
But I don't know if he's that second star. Or, you see, to me, Randall's not a star star, like a superstar. Randall's just a good secondary guy to that star that the Knicks really need. Now, the Knicks have a great front office now. You know, they, 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 they might be doing some things to attract players into, you know, the, to, to the Knicks. But this is the thing about sports now. It's not big markets anymore. Every market is a big market because with social media, it changed everything. Now you can, players are the brand. The teams are no longer the brand. So as big as a Knicks brand is, they're probably one of the most prestigious teams in all of sports, one of the most richest teams in sports, but it doesn't matter anymore. You know, those things don't matter anymore. Players are the brand, you know? And, um, you know, LeBron James changed that, you know? And, and kudos to him because he, he, he was the one that, he, that made the players show their self-worth, right? But there's the problem, like I said, with the Knicks, James Dolan, the owner. He's annihilated these players. And when you look at the way things have gone for them, it's, it's, it's hard because as a Knicks fan, every season you're optimistic that things are going to change. We're going to win games. We're going to do something. This is going to be the year. Like I tell you, being a fan, this is what you think about every single year when you go into the, to the season. But realistically when you look at it Tibbs has done a great job they might they're going to be they're going to make the playoffs this year and and listen for a Knicks fan we've been waiting for that for a long time right but then the question is when will we probably get dropped and listen I'm being realistic I'm keeping it real like I'm a Knicks fan and I'm a Net fan but I'll tell you this much Brooklyn is going somewhere hopefully this year hopefully go, we go win that chip and we're going to get into that shortly but with the Knicks, I just need to see that second player come through. And I'm scared that with this owner, the way he's acting, like, listen, what he did to Charles Oakley, Charles Oakley's a New York Knicks legend, man. And this guy kicked him out of a game. And they going through lawsuits and all this type of thing. Like, you don't do this to this, man. This guy, blood, sweat, and tears on the court for us. He's us, man. He's New York. You know what I'm saying? He was the enforcer. He was the guy that he protected all our players. Nobody want to go through Oakley. And for you to do that to him, out of all players, not only did you lose respect of the players, but you lost probably respect of the league from the players. Because it's like, like I tell you, the market is not big like that. They don't look at New York like that. It's a whole different thing now. You know? So that's what I think about the Knicks. I hope they do well. I hope they play well. Um, I'm looking forward to the playoffs, seeing what happens. But now I want to get into the Brooklyn Nets. And then a couple of things, right? This, this, this past season, they, you know, well, a season ago, they signed Kevin Durant. He's one of my favorite players. Kevin Durant is he's a seven-footer that can dribble, shoot, he can do everything. He's he's like an NBA 2K player in real life. If, if anybody that play NBA 2K, you this is just like it's like a he's a creative player type of player. That's the type of player this guy is, right? But what happens when you get a star? He's a superstar, right? So when you get a star, you attract stars. Now we added Kyrie Irving. 
was I kind was I happy with Kyrie Irving? I was okay with that. You know, he's kind of injury prone. He's kind of out there. You know, he 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 goes to his own beat. But the talent that this guy has, my goodness, Kyrie Irving is he's one of the best handles, if not the best handle I've ever seen in the NBA. Look him up, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. But the player that I most want to talk about today is James Harden. That's a player that was added this year to a trade. Now, past couple of years, James Harden has been, he's a transcendent player. You see, but this is the thing about James Harden. A lot of people considered him a very selfish player. Ball hog. Dribble, 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 dribble. <laughs> I mean... But when you see this guy play, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I really never liked his game like that when he was in the Houston Rockets. He was developed by the Oklahoma Thunder, Oklahoma City Thunder. And um, he got traded to the Rockets. And in the Rockets, he just became a phenomenal star. Guy was just averaging over 35 points, close to six rebounds, maybe 10 to 11 assists. You know, in 2018, he won the MVP with 36.1 points per game, 6.6 .6 rebounds per game, 7.5 assists a game. He probably could have won an MVP earlier than that. That's how phenomenal he was. But let me tell you, when he got traded to the Nets, I ain't going to lie to y'all, I was not feeling it because I'm like, how is this guy going to mesh with the star power of Durant, the star power of Kyrie? What I underestimated was this. Him and Kevin Durant, grew up together as teammates in the Oklahoma City Thunder. So they already had that rapport. They already had that chemistry. They already knew how to play together. But this was the most underrated factor. Mike D'Antoni, who's an assistant to the Brooklyn Nets, was the head coach of the Houston Rockets when Harden won that MVP. And this is the thing about Mike D'Antoni. Even though Steve Nash, who's the coach of the Nets now, he's a rookie coach, this is... Mike D'Antoni's system, seven seconds or less. So what I mean by that is they're all offense all the time. Defense is irrelevant to them. Now, with Harden, he catapulted that offense to a whole other level. Because you see, Steve Nash is his coach. This is the crazy part. Steve Nash won two MVPs under Mike D'Antoni, right? He won two MVPs in... 2005, 2006. But check these stats out. In 2005, he averaged 18.8 points per game, 4.2 rebounds a game, 10.5 assists per game. He won an MVP. Now, for those stats to win an MVP, a lot of people probably like, wow, he won an MVP for that? But it's the way he was changing the game, the way his team... Listen, in the NBA, it matters winning games. Winning games matter. Then the next year came... 2006, and Steve Nash, 18.6 points, 3.5 rebounds a game, 11.6 assists a game. So his rebounds digressed, his assists went up, scoring average went down two ticks, right? But what it is, they're winning games. But this is the thing about Mike D'Antoni. He's a point, that system is a point guard predicated system, right? So this is where I go to Harden. Harden this year, he came in to the Rockets. He was disgruntled. He didn't want to play for them. He told them straight up, trade me. 
He been telling them, trade me to Brooklyn. He wanted to go to Brooklyn. Hey, this is what he wanted. But this is the problem that happened here, right? He starts playing for the Rockets, and he played six games. He was, he was okay, but he was not playing up to that standard that he had already catapulted to the last couple of years, right? So then he goes to make this trade to Brooklyn, or, you know, they traded him to Brooklyn. He got his wish. My goodness, I underestimated this guy. This season, he's averaged 25.4 points per game, 8.7 rebounds per game, and 11 assists per game. Another thing, he's played 28 games as a net. He has 12 triple-doubles, which is tied with Jason Kidd for the most triple-doubles in the season. Ladies and gentlemen, he's become a triple-double machine with this team. Now, I'm not telling you this guy wasn't capable of these talents. He's been phenomenal. He's been amazing. He's been transcendent. But it's like I tell you, I underestimated that system. I underestimated the chemistry. Now, granted, Kevin Durant has been hurt all season. Kyrie's took in a couple of games off here and there. So, you know, it's just one of those things where now as he's injured at the moment, just to let you guys know. But the question is, when he comes back, Durant just came back, you know, Kyrie's there. Now they added LaMarcus Aldridge. They added Blake Griffin. They got a lot of star names. They got a lot of names, right? But you see, names don't equal chemistry or wins. No, they're going to equal wins, pardon me. But the question is, are they going to equal chemistry? And that's the big thing. I believe in them because guess what? I told you, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm going to keep riding. I'm going to ride or die with my team. I've been, when they moved to Brooklyn, that's it. Instant fan. That's just it. You know, like I told you, I love my Knicks. But I'm, I'm both. But you know what? I'm more into the players than the teams. And Kevin Durant's one of my favorite players. What do I see this year? I see, I see they could come out the East. Now, the question is, can they beat the Lakers? Or, because listen, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I don't care what Utah's doing. Utah's number one in the West right now. If Anthony Davis and LeBron James come back, they're currently hurt right now. But if they come back, oh, it's a wrap. I don't see nobody beating the Lakers, especially when they added Andrew Drummond in the middle, who's a defensive force who doesn't need to score. So, you know, that's the question now. That's just, this is what everybody wants. And this is the thing about sports, right? The matchups you want never happen because something always happens. There's always a team that comes out of nowhere. So I'm going to be watching closely at Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets. I'm going to be watching closely to see if this chemistry is going to develop as the season keeps going on in the latter, the latter games that are coming and also the playoffs. Because, you see, this is the thing about this Brooklyn team. It's an unprecedented team, and I'm going to tell you why. You've never had three stars like that on one team that can score each 20 points a game and just completely dominate. But this is about the playoffs. Defense wins championships. So this is why it's so intriguing to find out what's going to happen in this dilemma with these players because you look at the, the Nets and they have everything. <laughs> They're there. They're ready to go. But talent doesn't equal chemistry. 
And if you don't have chemistry, I'm sorry. You can have all the talent in the war in the world. You ain't winning no championship. You know? But you know, with that being said, I hope I was able to break a couple of things down to you guys and give a couple of perspectives of how these teams are looking going into the playoffs and into the team, into the season, or end of the season. And um that's my take. Hey everybody, um, just want to thank you guys for tuning in to episode two. Much appreciate any support, any listens, any feedback. Um, I just want to let you know that episode three is the debate of all debates. And I'm just going to keep it like that because the next one, that's the one. That's the one that, you know, we got to have a conversation about that one. The debate of all debates. Um, first and foremost, I want to give a shout out to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for giving me this platform, for giving me this voice to just share with y'all. Um, I humbly just try my best to give you any insight, any intake that you guys can take, you know, just, just give it to y'all. And I um, want to give a couple shout outs that I wasn't able to get to last week that I want to do this week. Um, First and foremost, I want to shout out my grandmother, Mama. I love you so much. You know, she's 85 years old, y'all. I'm grateful to have her here still. You know, um, I want to shout out my Titi, my Titi and Theo in Brooklyn, David, Jessica, Jediah, Justin, Jaden. You know, I want to shout out my boy Ricky in Queens. You know, I want to shout out my Titi Nilda, Boopy, my brother Ivan, Johnny. Veronica and the kids, I got love for you all. And um, last but not least, to my man behind the scenes, Queens Kid, holding it down. You already know. 